This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. We're in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, and I'm going to read it for you. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it for us, Lord, that we will be able to receive your truth out of it. I ask that you will plant deeply into our hearts what you want us to get out of it today, Lord. Father, that you will cause it to, to bear fruit, to sprout and bear much fruit. We give you all the honor. We give you all the glory. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and the church say, amen. amen, amen. You may be seated. Yeah, so I'm super excited to dive into this text. I feel there's just so much that the Lord is, is doing there. And I've been, just been excited with everything that God has been, been doing with us as um, we walk um, through the book of Ephesians. So um, I, my, my prayer is that as we go from week to week, that we don't disconnect the weeks, right? But as we walk through this, that what I learned last week and what I learned the week before and what I learned the, the month before that, we're continuing to add on and we're growing with it, right? And so we're not forgetting each thing on Cass's light and context to the thing that we learn the, the, the week after, right? So I'm praying that you, you're there. You see, last week we learned about God's eternal plan to specifically use the church to make known his manifold wisdom. This is his eternal plan before the beginning of time, knowing everything that would happen, the fall and all the, the wickedness of men on the land and inside of his, his holy mind, he's already processing and knowing exactly what he's going to do before he set things in motion. He's going to use his church to make known his, his manifold wisdom. And to that end, in his sovereignty, reveals the mystery of ethnic unity through the church as a reflection of who he is, his kingdom, and a part of her missional identity and making known the depths of his wisdom. In his sovereignty, he would choose to do that. So this is where we, we was at last week, and, and, and then this week, as we pick up this week, now, this is the second time inside this letter where, where Paul basically says, man, this is why I pray. 
He's walking through this and he gets to this point and what you see, he's going in and out. He's, he's, he's writing to them and as he's writing to them he, and, and thinking about the weight of, of, of what he's writing, he's going into prayer like, man, I'm praying for y'all. This is why I pray. And he's writing like, this is why I pray. And I cannot overemphasize the role of prayer in the revelation and understanding of the wisdom of God. I cannot overemphasize it. I cannot state it enough that, that, that God, God calls us into deep relationship that is shaped and molded in prayer. And after he just goes in and tells them about how, how big his plan is and the role that they play inside of this, this plan, he says, this is, this is why I'm on my knees to the Father. All authentic movements of God are realized in prayer, flow out of prayer, saturated in prayer, and leads to prayer. We need to grasp that and know that, right? If you're living this, this life that's not saturated inside of prayer, you're missing this thing. I'm saying if God is doing a deep movement inside of your, your marriage that flows out of prayer, if God is doing a deep movement of the church, it flows out of prayer. If God is doing revival in the land, it flows out of prayer. If he's moving and addressing social issues through the church, it flows out of prayer. All authentic movements of God, right? There's other movements, but all authentic movements of God, they flow out of prayer. They're realized in prayer. That means, like, he's speaking to your heart and he's speaking to your spirit, but, but it's in prayer that it's confirmed. It's in prayer that the, that the realities of these things are made, made full, and God is like, yeah, this is what I want you to do. And, he, and he, gives, he, gives, he gives arms to it and legs to it. It's, it's right there in prayer. It flows out of prayer. And while you're there, when you're going to the throne and God is, is, is speaking to your heart, this is your launching point. Relationship with God. Praying to him, listening to him. This is your launching point. It flows out of prayer. And it's, it's saturated in prayer. So it's not like, okay, we launched from prayer, we prayed to start, and then we took off, and, and prayer was where we started at and, 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 and left it there. No, no, no. It's saturated in prayer as you go and you're continuing the process through. And prayer is just saturating the whole thing because God means for this whole thing to be a relational work. So I'm constantly praying and, and, and I'm constantly saturating what's being done in prayer. I'm constantly going to him and saying, Lord, what do you want and how do you want to do it? That's it. It leads to prayer. I never get to the point, like I never graduate from prayer. That never happens. Like I done prayed already. Nah, no, 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 no. It leads you to back to praying because you're going to keep running into these things and the Lord is going to be like, yeah, yo, I have to do that because if I don't, then um, you start 
trusting you. And so let me keep allowing these things that happen that lead you back to prayer. And plus, anyhow, man, ain't we doing this thing together? So I love that, that, that Paul knows this, and as he's writing these weighty things to them, oh, he takes the time to make sure that he also includes, this is why I pray for you. That he keeps telling them this, so they understand how much prayer saturates everything that he's communicating to them. Now, the thing that I love about this text is, this, this, this point in prayer is, is when he says, he says, when he says, I bow my knees before the Father. When he says, I bow my knees before the Father, like, man, imagine the imagery. Here's the imagery that you need to have here, right? When we're going to the Father in prayer, when we're going to the throne, here's the imagery of this, this, this mighty king sitting on his throne with a servant bowing humbly in reverence of his authority and power. Ah, he's writing to them. He's like, ah, I bow my knees before the Father. You see, posture is, it means much in prayer. A lot of times we forget that, right? Especially in Reformed traditions, we forget how much posture means much in prayer. See, there's a way to pray that's arrogant, right? That's arrogant, like, like I'm not standing in front of a king who has the power and authority to crush me with his words that I have wronged greatly. But instead, as, as, as if he's the one that owes me and prayers the way that I go to collect my debt. There's, a, there's an arrogance that we can have when we don't have this posture of, of brokenness. And I'm not, like, man, and I get it. We don't just, like, legalistically pray about this and pray about that every single time and stuff and, and falling on our knees every time and praying over I'm not talking about this legalistic thing, but here's the reality. Some people camp out there and you hardly do it at all. You hardly fall on your knees or fall on your face in front of the Father and, and pray. You hardly pray over your food. Like, I don't, I don't deserve the first fork that I put on my mouth. And, and if he allowed me to choke on it, he would, would be just. Like the grace that he has. Nah, we don't like talking about that type of stuff. See, most of us go with this lack of reverence, with, with a posture of heart, mind, and body that is void of the reality that I have been forgiven of a massive debt to, to the person that I am asking to give more to me, who gives more freely. So your outward your outward posture often displays the posture of your heart and spirit. Talking about brokenness here. 
You see, some of us, I get it, we have physical limitations that, that hinder us from, from the posture that we want to pray in. God sees that inside of your heart, but some of us just aren't broken over our sin enough. Our sin haven't knocked the wind out of us. We won't see how wretched we are. Hmm. But when you get it, right? But when you get it, and you go falling on your knees of a holy God that said, I knew all the things that you would do to offend me deeply and still made up my mind I wanted you to exist and give you grace. Man, that should shape how you go to the throne. And I'm not talking about, like, a fear of an unrighteous God, but a fear that, 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 that says, I know you are good. And I respect your authority. Now, so he says, I fall on my knees in prayer. Now, here's the deal. He's talking to them, and, he, and Paul isn't praying for himself. He's, he's, at this juncture, he's praying for them. I fall on my knees and and pray for you. Like, and even though he isn't praying for himself, he's praying for other members of the body that he is a part of. Like, when is the last time that you went broken in front of the throne in in, in reverence of this, 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 this God whose presence is only by his grace that I can stand in front of his presence? I don't deserve him. I'm in deep depth to him, and I go broken in front of the throne for her. Praying that they get it. Praying that they get it. He's setting a tone to them as he writes this letter and he lets them know the things that he's also doing as he's writing this letter. Like, this is what it's going to take to live life in fellowship with one another. You praying for one another, praying that the other gets it. This is what Pastor Aaron is praying. This is what I'm praying. This is what we as elders are, are praying that, that we get it. So I want to spend some time examining the heart of this prayer today, right? Because as he, he prays, these things speak to us. I want to examine how he sets it up, right? Bless your name, Lord. He sets this thing up. And here's the first slide in question I want to go to. Do your prayers start and stop with you, or are they connected to something bigger? Here's what I'm talking about here. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. First, he acknowledges the authority of God the Father. And he connects his prayer to the grand narrative of his story. 
He acknowledges his, 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 his authority. He connects his prayer to the grand narrative of, of, of his story, his agenda, what he's doing. You see, naming something. The moment he says, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, he connects it to his agenda, naming something amounted to bringing it into existence, giving it identity, exercising authority over it. And like all of creation derives its name from the Father, he is both its source and its, its ruler, right? And even like with, with Adam naming the animals, God is, 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 is he, he makes, gives Adam dominion over, over the land. And after Adam is naming these animals, he's exercising this dominion that's, that's under the authority of God. And, and so he's like, man, this God who named every single family in heaven and the earth, and he's talking to them as family. You got to understand the heart of this. He's like, listen, you guys are connected together inside of a family, the kingdom of God, the family of God. He named all families this one as well. I want you to understand the narrative and the storyline that these things are flowing with. See, turning to God and acknowledging his sovereign work and purpose reminds us that it's not about us. Like we're members of his family. He is the one with the, the sovereign plan regarding his family. And when he does this, he, he makes clear what he's talking about. It's not of his design, but it's of the Father's design, the Father's plans, not his, the Father's authority, not his, not just what he would like to see happen, but what the Father is doing. And there's a difference between praying your desires and praying the Father's desires. There's a difference there. You see, your desires start and stop with you. Remember what I'm saying? He's connecting this to a narrative. When he points out the Father's work of naming all families in heaven and earth, see, your desires start and stop with you. And I don't care what you're praying for, if you're praying for health or if you're praying about justice issues, right? But if it's not connected to the grand narrative of God, what do you do once you get that health or that justice? It stops right there. But when it's connected to the grand narrative of God, it's moving in a particular direction. It's going to a particular end. You got to get this. It's going somewhere. He has a plan. He's doing these things. And when what you're praying for is rooted in his plans, it finds its position inside his story. Think about Psalms 37 and 4, and it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think about it, and there's a little bit of angst there because I've heard it butchered. I heard people say, man, delight yourself in the Lord. And so long as you do that, he'll give you the desires of your heart. And like, that's just, that's, no, 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 no. That's not, 
exactly what's being talked about because your heart can desire some wicked things. No, 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 no. He's saying, delight yourself in the Lord. Enjoy him. Embrace him. And as you do that, the desires of your heart will be desires that he gave to your heart to desire. So if you're wrestling and you're wrestling with man, there's some wicked desires inside of this heart and I'm wrestling with it because I keep end up desiring these things. Delight yourself in the Lord. Engage him. Submerge yourself deeply inside of him. Chase after him and watch those desires that are not like him die. And watch him give you good desires. Now, this is all in context to everything that he's talking to them about as he talks to them about this, this unification of, 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 of people, of different people. This is all in context to what he's doing. See, the unification of different people in the church is his design and plan, not a response to social issues. Like, this was his plan before the social ex- issues existed. So when we push into it, we're pushing into his divine design and his plan. To that end, he prays that they would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. In 16, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. In your inner being. He's not just saying, and this is good, nothing against it, but he's not just saying, man, I want you to have the power of the Holy Spirit so you can lay hands on folks and so you can heal people and so you can prophesize and so that you can cast out demons. That's all fine, but I'm praying that you will have the strength of the Holy Spirit that he will do a deep work in the inner being of you. An eternal work. And he prays that they will be this internal strengthening for, by the Spirit of God for three specific reasons. I want to go over those reasons today, right? Because I feel that they are important for us to know and understand. In 17, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, and he goes on. Reason number one, so that by Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith, they will be rooted and grounded in love. He's praying that they will be strengthened by the Holy Spirit so that they will be rooted and grounded in love. See, if you're not truly rooted and grounded in love, you will not have the strength to endure through the tensions of an authentically diverse community. He knows this and he's like, man, what God is, 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 is calling you into and he's writing it down, he's penning it and, and as he's thinking about it, they need to be rooted and grounded in love. I'm praying that the spirit of God will, will root them and, and, and ground them. 
He wants them to have deeper and stronger roots that are firmly planted in love and and with a depth and a strength that's only done through the Spirit of God. That's the only thing that's going to keep you when you're offended by the other. That's the only thing that's going to keep you when you're like, man, I'm tired of this and I just want to give up. But then you're rooted and grounded in love and for some reason you stick it out. That's the only thing that's going to keep you when when you want to just throw in the towel. That's the only thing that's going to make you stand for the other. That's the only thing that's going to make you want to sacrifice for the other. I'm rooted and grounded in love, but everything else doesn't seem to make sense. There's this love that's keeping me. He's like, I have to think about what God is calling you into. I'm praying for, 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 for... His spirit to give you strength that Christ would live inside of you and you would be rooted and grounded in love. That's the only thing that's going to make you see the beauty of the other and the value of those that are not like you. He knows without love, the tensions of culture would devour him. This is where you needed to be rooted and grounded in. Hmm. In 18, he says, he continues, like he said, that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the heights and the depths. Talking about his love here. His reason number two. The strength to comprehend the dimensions of his love. If you're going to be living inside of this, I'm praying, I'm praying that the the Holy Spirit will give you the strength to comprehend the dimensions of his love. Notice he doesn't pray that they would have the knowledge to comprehend it. Like, he's not praying, I I pray that you will study enough to get to the point that you you understand it. He doesn't say that. He He doesn't even say, I'm praying that you listen to enough sermons or that you do enough reading. He doesn't say that. He's praying that the Spirit of God will give them the strength to comprehend it. You see, the the reality is so big and so weighty that it's, it's impossible to understand it without the Spirit of God. Trying to grasp this outside of the strength of the Spirit of God will crush you. Because it's too big. This wasn't, it wasn't designed to be fully grasped outside of his strength. This design, like, mm, that you would rest and trust inside of him. See, last week, we talked about how God's wisdom was manifold, which meant multi-leveled. And now we're looking at how his love is multi-dimensional. Ah, he's like, I want you to grasp this. Multi-dimensional, you see... God's love is multidimensional. That's breadth times length times height times depth. Many of us have a one-dimensional love that's just not enough. We need the multidimensional love of God through the Spirit to constantly love the other. We need this. I'm just looking at Psalms 103, thinking about this text of the Psalms that we read earlier. And we're thinking about the dimensions of his love. And he said, like, you, he didn't say you can't grasp it. He's praying that they will grasp it, but it's yet still bigger than them. So the breadth, the breadth is, 
How wide is your love, Lord? How wide is this? Psalms 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. In his love, he says, how how, how wide is your love? As far as the east is from the west, that's how wide my forgiveness leads in. And this is what he he says, you're going to need to to rest inside of this forgiveness that's his, that goes as far as, like, if you're going to be inside this type of community, you're going to lead to rest and forgiveness. Knowing how wide it is. And I get it. Some people are like, man, but I can't hide that as far as the east is from the west kind of love. It's just way too much. I can't do it. And I, I agree with you. You can't without God. It's meant to be dependent upon God to be able to do it. Then you have the, the length of his love. Length. How long of his love? The length of his love. How long is it? Psalms 103, 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. This is how long his love is. We're thinking about the length, how long it is. From everlasting, a.k.a. before creation, through the fall, through redemption, leading into restoration, a.k.a. everlasting. This is the love he's praying would dwell inside of you. In the height of his love. How high is your love, Lord? Psalms 103 and 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him. Sometimes I... Sometimes when I'm stuck, I just go outside, and I really do this, and just look up at the sky and think about how endless is his love for us. So you think about that on a natural way, but then even on a spiritual way. He says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places when you're thinking about the heights of his love. Then the depths of his love. How deep is your love for us, Lord? And all these big things, he's thinking, I'm praying for the strength of God for you to comprehend these things, for you to get them. How deep is your love? Psalms, again, 103 and 4. He who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This is the the love we need to walk in reconciliation with one another, knowing and understanding that it's he who redeems your life from the pit. A love to understand the depths of God's love and reconciling us to him and each other was demonstrated when he put his own self inside that pit to lift us up. When he died for our sins, for our sake, when he died and then rose, that we would be reconciled with him and one another. I'm talking about the dimensions of his love. These are big things. 
He's praying for them to have Holy Spirit strength in order for them to understand the dimensions of his love. Now, now get this though. As he's praying for this, he doesn't say, he doesn't just say, I'm praying that you get this. He says, with all the saints. He brings them right back into community. With all the saints. Not just individually. Like, he keeps using this language of togetherness. A couple of weeks ago, he was talking about this. He's not just talking about coexisting together, but you're talking about growing together, being strengthened together, that we may understand together. With all the saints. Then 19... And I hope you guys are getting this. We understand, like, he, he's talking about the church, and here's these, these weights regarding the church that he's calling them, them into. This really, like, you will get this. Get the, the multiple dimensions of his love, and that it will live inside of you, knowing that this won't happen outside of the strength of the Spirit of God. Then in 19, he says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Reason number three, the strength to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I'm praying that you will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, oftentimes it won't make sense to you. It won't collect to you. That you will know the love of God. You'll find yourself with this rational reasoning on, on, on why to not live into this. And, and it'll make sense. And you'll find yourself running out of what I know. I don't understand this. And, and you'll find yourself running into walls. You see, when the infinite is living inside of the finite, every now and then the finite is confronted with its finiteness and forced to trust the infinite. So that you may know him, know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Get this. So you may know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That you have this relationship with God that pushes past your knowledge, the information that you have inside of your head, and you're able to trust him because you know him. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up, but that's okay because he's good and I know him. And he's like, if you don't have this, it's going to be difficult to live and walk this thing out. You will be confronted with it over and over and over and over and over and over again. But he, but he, he adds a why to it, though. He adds a why. He says, 
His why. Here's why I want you to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with the fullness of God. You see, just having a knowledge of him hinders being filled with his fullness. If you merely have a knowledge of the love of Christ, detached from an experiential, relational knowing of the love of Christ, it will hinder you from being filled with the fullness of the spirit of Christ. You'll find yourself constantly trying to figure things out, but it just doesn't add up. And I just don't know what to do. And I just don't know this. And I just don't know that. And you're stuck there trying to figure out what you know. And he says, trust me when you don't know. You don't have to, like, I'm going to pass your knowledge. You got to get to these points and places where I'm glad you came to the end of your knowledge in yourself. So that you could actually listen to me. I'm praying that we get this today. That you hear a God that says, I want you to know me. I've called you into something that is way bigger than you. Intentionally. And the only way that you're going to navigate this is to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. In a world and a culture that idolizes knowledge. He says, know me. Know my voice. Know my character. Oh man, listen. I know it doesn't add up. But is it my love? That should tell you why you should not do it. I know you could probably become your own lawyer and make a a, a good debate on why it's okay. But is it my love? These dimensions of my love can live inside of you. And it will constantly lead you to trusting in what's bigger than you and that's me. Listen, as we get ready for communion, man, I pray as you take communion, man, you take this this bread that represents his body that's given for you. You take this juice that represents his blood that flows for you when you take it and you remember the union, you remember what you are called into, something way bigger than you, And the foolishness of your heart needs to be constantly reminded of the infinite God that dwells inside of you. That will lead you past your finite knowledge. And he's designed it so that you will fail every single time you think you're feeling yourself enough to do it without him. I ask that you will pray. That you will search your hearts. Pray with one another. And then... Man, break bread and let's go to the throne, humble hearts, and worship our King today. The tables are open. Let's break bread and fellowship with one another. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.